The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Chapter 5 A Conspiracy Unmasked Part 2 They had supper in the kitchen on a table near the fire. I suppose you three won't walk mushrooms again, said Fidigar, without much hope. Yes, we shall, cried Pippin. They're mine, said Frodo, given to me by Mrs. Maggot, a queen among farmers' wives. Take your greedy hands away, and I'll serve them. Hobbits have a passion for mushrooms, surpassing even the greediest likings of big people. A fact which partly explains young Frodo's long expeditions to the renowned fields of the marsh and the wrath of the injured maggot. On this occasion, there was plenty for all, even according to Hobbit standards. There were also many other things to follow, and when they had finished, even Fatty Bolger heaved a sigh of content. They pushed back the table and drew chairs round the fire. We'll clear up later, said Mary. Now, tell me all about it. I guess that you've been having adventures, which was not quite fair without me. I want a full account, and most of all, I want to know what was the matter with old Maggot. Why he spoke to me like that? He sounded almost as if he was scared, if that is possible. We have all been scared, said Pippin after a pause, in which Frodo stared at the fire and did not speak. You would have been too if you had been chased for two days by black raiders. And what are they? Black figures riding on black horses, answered Pippin. If Frodo won't talk, I will tell you the whole tale from the beginning. He then gave a full account of their journey from the time when they left Hobbiton. Sam gave various supporting nods and exclamations. Frodo remained silent. I should think you are making it all up said Mary. If I had not seen that black shape on the landing stage and heard the queer sound in Maggot's voice. What do you make of it all, Frodo? Cousin Frodo has been very close, said Pippin. But the team has come for him to open up. So far we have been given nothing more to go on than Farmer Maggot's guess that it has something to do with old Bilbo's treasure. That was only a guess, said Frodo hastily. Maggot does not know anything. Old Maggot is a shrewd fellow, said Mary. A lot goes on behind his round face that does not come out in his talk. I've heard that he used to go into the old forest at one time, and he has the reputation of knowing a good many strange things. But you can at least tell us, Frodo, whether you think his guess is good or bad. I think, answered Frodo slowly, that it was a good guess as far as it goes. There is a connection with Bilbo's old adventures, and the riders are looking, or perhaps one ought to say searching, for him or for me. I also fear, if you want to know, that it is no joke at all, and that I am not safe here or anywhere else. He looked round at the windows and walls, as if he was afraid they would suddenly give way. The others looked at him in silence and exchanged meaning glances among themselves. He's coming out in a minute whispered Pippin to Mary. Mary nodded. Well, said Frodo at last, sitting up and straightening his back, as if he had made a decision. I can't keep it dark any longer. I've got something to tell you all, but I don't know quite how to begin. I think I could help you, said Mary quietly, if 
by telling you some of it myself. What do you mean? said Frodo, looking at him anxiously. Just this, my dear old Frodo. You are miserable because you don't know how to say goodbye. You meant to leave the Shire, of course, but danger has come on you sooner than you expected, and now you are making up your mind to go at once, and you don't want to. We are very sorry for you. Frodo opened his mouth and shut it again. His look of surprise was so comical that they laughed. Dear old Frodo, said Pippin, did you really think you'd thrown dust in all our eyes? You had not been nearly careful or clever enough for that. You've obviously been planning to go and say farewell to all your haunts all this year since April. You've constantly heard your muttering. Shall I ever look down into that valley again, I wonder? And things like that. And pretending that you'd come to the end of your money and actually selling your beloved bag in for those Saxville bagginses. All those close talks with Gandalf. Good heavens, said Frodo. I thought I had been both careful and clever. I don't know what Gandalf would say. Is all the Shire discussing my departure then? Oh no, said Mary. Don't worry about that. The secret won't keep for long, of course, but at present it is, I think, only known to us conspirators. After all, you must remember that we know you will. They're often with you. You can usually guess what you are thinking. And you Bilbo too. To tell you the truth, I have been watching you rather closely ever since he left. I thought you would go after him sooner or later. Indeed, I expected you would go sooner. And lately, we have been very anxious. We have been terrified that you might give us the slip and go off suddenly, all on your own like he did. Ever since the spring, we have kept our eyes open and done a good deal of planning on our own account. You are not going to escape so easily. But I must go, said Frodo. It cannot be helped, dear friends. It is wretched for us all, but it is no use your trying to keep me. Since you have guessed so much, please help me and do not hinder me. You do not understand, said Pippin. You must go, and therefore, we must go too. Mary and I are coming with you. Sam is an excellent fellow and would jump down a dragon's throat to save you, if he did not trip over his own feet. But you will need more than one companion in your dangerous adventure. My dear and most beloved hobbits, said Frodo, deeply moved. But I could not allow it. I decided that long ago too. You speak of danger, but you do not understand. This is no treasure hunt, nor there and back journey. I am flying from deadly peril into deadly peril. Of course we understand, said Mary firmly. That is why we have decided to come. We know the ring is no laughing matter, but we are going to do our best to help you against the enemy. The ring, said Frodo, now completely amazed. Yes, the ring, said Mary. My dear old hobbit, you don't allow for the inquisitiveness of friends. I had known about the existence of the ring for years, before Bilbo went away in fact. But since he obviously regarded it as a secret, I kept the knowledge in my head until we formed our conspiracy. I did not know Bilbo, of course, as well as I know you. I was too young, and he was also more careful. But... He was not careful enough. If you want to know how I first found out, I will tell you. Go on, said Frodo faintly. 
It was the Saxville Bargainses that were his downfall, as you might expect. One day, a year before the party, I happened to be walking along the road when I saw Bilbo ahead. Suddenly in the distance, the Saxville Bargainses appeared, coming towards us. Bilbo slowed down and then, hey presto, he vanished. I was so startled that I hardly had the wits to hide myself in a more ordinary fashion. But I got through the hedge and walked along the field inside. I was peeping through into the road after the Saxville Bargainses had passed and was looking straight at Bilbo when he suddenly reappeared. I caught a glint of gold as he put something back in his trouser pocket. After that, I kept my eyes open. In fact, I confessed that I spied, but I must admit that it was very intriguing and I was only in my teens. I must be the only one in the Shire besides you, Frodo, that has ever seen the old fellow's secret book. You have read his book, cried Frodo. Good heavens above! Is nothing safe? Not too safe, I should say, said Mary. But I have only had one rapid glance, and that was difficult to get. He never left the book all about. I wonder what became of it. I should like another look. Have you got it, Frodo? No, it was not at Bag End. I must have taken it away. Well, as I was saying, Mary proceeded, I kept my knowledge to myself till the spring when things got serious. Then we formed our conspiracy, and as we were serious too and meant business, we have not been too scrupulous. You are not a very easy nut to crack, and Gandalf is worse, but if you want to be introduced to our chief investigator, I can produce him. Where is he? said Frodo, looking around, as if he expected a masked and sinister figure to come out of a cupboard. Step forward, Sam said Mary, and Mary stood up, with a face of scarlet up to his ears. Here's our collector of information. He collected a lot, I can tell you, for he was finally caught. After which, I may say, he seemed to regard himself as on parole and dried up. Sam, cried Frodo, feeling that amazement could go no further, and quite unable to decide whether he felt angry, amused, relieved, or merely foolish. Yes, sir, said Sam, begging your pardon, sir, but I meant no wrong to you, Mr. Frodo, nor to Mr. Gandalf, for that matter. He has some sense, mind you, and when you said go alone, he said, no, take someone you can trust. But it does not seem that I can trust anyone, said Frodo. Sam looked at him unhappily. It all depends on what you want, put in Mary. You can trust us to stick to you through taken to thin, to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secrets of yours closer than you can keep it yourself. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone, to go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. Anyway, there it is. We know most of what Gandalf has told you. We know a good deal about the ring. We are honestly afraid, but... We are coming with you, or following you like hounds. And after all, sir, added Sam, you did ought to take the elves' advice. Gilder said you should take them as was willing, and you couldn't deny it. I don't deny it, said Frodo, looking at Sam, who was now grinning. I don't deny it, but I'll never believe you are sleeping again, whether you snore or not, 
I shall kick you hard to make sure. You are a set of deceitful scoundrels, he said, turning to the others. But, bless you, he laughed, getting up and waving his arms. I give in. I will take Gildor's advice. If the danger were not so dark, I should dance for joy. Even so, I cannot help feeling happy, happier than I have felt for a long time. I had dreaded this evening. Good. That's settled. Three cheers for Captain Frodo and company, they shouted, and they danced round him. Merry and Pippin began a song, which they had apparently got ready for the occasion. It was made on the model of the dwarf song that started Bilbo on his adventure long ago, and went to the same tune. Farewell we call to hearth and hall, though wind may blow and rain may fall, we must away ere break of day, far over wood and mountain tall, to Rivendell, where elves yet dwell, in glades beneath the misty fell, through moor and waste we ride in haste, and whither then we cannot tell. With foes ahead, behind us dread, beneath the sky shall be our bed, until at last our toil be past, our journey done, our errand sped. We must away, we must away, we ride before the break of day. Very good, said Frodo, but in that case there are a lot of things to do before we go to bed, under a roof for tonight at any rate. Oh, that was poetry, said Pippin. Do you really mean to start before the break of day? I don't know, answered Frodo. I fear those black riders, and I am sure it is unsafe to stay in one place long, especially in a place to which it is known I was going. Also, Gildor advised me not to wait, but I should very much like to see Gandalf. I could see that even Gildor was disturbed when he heard that Gandalf had never appeared. It really depends on two things. How soon could the riders get to Bucklebury, and how soon could we get off? It will take a good deal of preparation. The answer is to the second question, said Mary, is that we could get off in an hour. I have prepared practically everything. There are five ponies in a stable across the fields. Stores and tackle are all packed, except for a few extra clothes and the perishable food. It seems to have been a very efficient conspiracy, said Frodo. But what about the Black Riders? Would it be safe to wait one day for Gandalf? That all depends on what you think the riders would do if they found you here, answered Mary. They could have reached here by now, of course, if they were not stopped at the north gate, where the hedge runs down to the river bank, just this side of the bridge. The gate guards would not let them through by night, though they might break through. Even in the daylight, they would try to keep them out, I think, at any rate until they got a message through to the master of the hall for they would not like the look of the riders and would certainly be frightened by them. But, of course, Buckland cannot resist a determined attack for long. And it is possible that in the morning even a black rider that rode up and asked for Mr. Baggins would be let through. It is pretty generally known that you are coming back to living Prick Hollow. Frodo sat for a while and thought. I have made up my mind, he said finally. I am starting tomorrow as soon as it is light, but I am not going by road. It would be safer to wait here than that. If I go through the north gate, my departure from Buckland will be known at once, 
instead of being secret for several days at least, as it might. And what is more, the bridge and the east road near the borders will certainly be watched, whether any rider gets into Buckland or not. We don't know how many there are, but there are at least two, and possibly more. The only thing to do is to go off in a quite unexpected direction. But that can only mean going into the old forest, said Fredegard, horrified. You can't be thinking of doing that. It is quite as dangerous as a black rider. Not quite, said Mary. It sounds very desperate, but I believe Mr. Frodo is right. It is the only way of getting off without being followed at once. But look, we might get a considerable start. But you won't have any luck in the old forest, objected Fredegar. No one ever has luck in there. You'll get lost. People don't go in there. Oh, yes, they do, said Mary. The brandy box go in, occasionally, when the fit takes them. They have a private entrance. Frodo went in once, long ago. I've been in several times, occasionally in daylight, of course, when the trees are sleepy and fairly quiet. Well, do as you think best, said Fredegar. I am more afraid of the old forest than of anything I know about. The stories about it are a nightmare, but my vote hardly counts, as I'm not going on the journey. Still, I am very glad someone is stopping behind. You can tell Gandalf what you have done when he turns up, as I'm sure he will before long. Fond as he was of Frodo, Fatty Bulger had no desire to leave the Shire, nor to see what lay outside it. His family came from the East Farthing, from the Budgeford and Bridgefields, in fact, but he had never been over the Brandywine Bridge. His task, according to the original plans of the conspirators, was to stay behind and deal with inquisitive folk to keep up as long as possible the pretense that Mr. Baggins was still living at Crick Hollow. He had even brought along some old clothes of Frodo's to help him in playing the part. They little thought how dangerous that part might prove. Excellent, said Frodo, when he understood the plan. We could not have left any message behind for Gandalf otherwise. I don't know whether these riders can read or not, of course, but... I should not have dared to risk a written message in case they got in and searched the house. But if Fatty is willing to hold the fort, and I can be sure of Gandalf knowing the way we have gone, that decides me. I am going into the old forest first thing tomorrow. Well, that's that, said Pippin. On the whole, I would rather have our job than Fatty's, waiting here till black writers come. You wait till you are well inside the forest, said Ferdigar. You wish you were back here with me before this time tomorrow. It's no good arguing about it anymore, said Mary. We have still got to tidy up and put the finishing touches to the packing before we get to bed. I shall call you all before the break of day. When at last he had got to bed, Frodo could not sleep for some time. His legs ached. He was glad that he was riding in the morning. Eventually, he fell into a vague dream in which he seemed to be looking out of a high window over a dark sea of tangled trees. Down below among the roots, there was the sound of creatures crawling and snuffling. He felt sure they would smell him out sooner or later. Then, he heard a noise in the distance. At first, he thought it was a great wind coming over the leaves of the forest, 
Then he knew that it was not leaves, but the sound of the sea far off. A sound he had never heard in waking life, though it had often troubled his dreams. Suddenly, he found that he was out in the open. There were no trees after all. He was on a dark heath, and there was a strange salt smell in the air. Looking up, he saw before him a tall white tower standing alone on a high ridge. A great desire came over him to climb the tower and see the sea. He started to struggle up the ridge towards the tower, but suddenly a light came in the sky and there was a noise of thunder 